Good morning, Outlook family. It's good to see everyone this morning, whether you're with me here in the room or you're with us online. I'm just glad we're together, and I'm really looking forward to jumping in to God's Word. As Kate mentioned in the video, we are in a recurring series called Live Free. And in this series, we are exploring the intersection between our mental and emotional health and our spiritual well-being and discipleship to Jesus. And in this month's iteration of that recurring series, we've specifically been looking at the fact that our lives are a lot like trees, that you and I are a lot like a tree. The branches of our behaviors and outcomes and the fruit of those uh, are all fed by what's happening in our root system. And that root system is fed by things like the pain we've endured, the people in our past, and the patterns that we have Learn. That's what we've talked about so far. A couple weeks ago, we learned that our past is still very present in our lives. We learned that our families have formed us. And today, we're going to learn how much our traumas train us. Now, before I go any farther, our topic today may stir up some things in you, in your own heart and soul, as you're reminded of things that you've experienced and endured, and that's totally normal. And I just want to say that if that's the case and you need to talk to someone, feel free to reach out to me or any of the other pastors after church or reach out to us this week if you'd like someone to talk through some of these things with and pray with. We'd be happy to do that. But I want to begin with a hopeful word from Psalm 34. I hope it will provide context for everything that we're going to tackle. In Psalm 34, we read, The Lord is close to the brokenhearted. He rescues those whose spirits are crushed. That can be any of us on any given day. And I want you to hear today that if that's you, if you sense that your spirit just feels crushed or your heart is broken, that the Lord is near you, even especially so. And we, as your church family, are near you too. Amen? So let's dive right in. What do we mean when we use the word trauma? Well, we mean pain. We mean abuse or injustice or loss, the kinds of tough things we all can experience in life. They traumatize us. Trauma is injury. It can include physical injury, certainly, but as we're seeing it, it always includes the mental and emotional, psychological, and spiritual injury that we suffer in our souls. Rich Velotis writes about this in his book, The Deeply Formed Life. He says, when most people think of trauma, they think exclusively of catastrophic moments. That is not the only way trauma works. Its presence presence often goes undetected, expressing itself in emotional distress that we might even consider normal. But make no mistake, he writes, to some degree or another, We carry experiences of trauma deep within. Now, trauma is defined by each of us as individuals, what we endured, whether or not it was traumatic to us. Now, experiences like abuse, violence, assault, neglect are often often categorized as big T trauma, while experiences like grief and failure might be called small T trauma by those who are experts at this, but regardless of how it's categorized, here's the real lesson for our time together this morning. Unprocessed trauma 
is unhealed trauma. And unhealed trauma depletes the soil of our souls, our root systems, and ends up becoming a natural breeding ground for our depression, our dependencies, and our anxieties. Whatever we've experienced, we must prayerfully process those experiences to help us understand what's happening inside us. We bring them before the Lord. We bring them before ourselves and not deny or ignore them. But we don't do it by ourselves. That's important. Without a doubt, if you have experienced any big T trauma for sure, I encourage you to seek therapy. I strongly encourage you to process that with a professional counselor. Things happen to us in our lives that break us in our souls. If I had a broken bone, I would go to the doctor, right? And you would too. I wouldn't try to set up myself and I wouldn't try to ignore it and go through life as if my bone wasn't broken. That same brokenness happens to our psyches, happens to our souls. We're injured, we're hurt, we're in pain. Taking those injuries to those who are well-suited and that the Lord is gifted and can use to help set those things back into a healthy place again only is wise and makes sense. So I encourage you to do that. Now, as we move into this subject, what we're going to do for the rest of our time together is look at three questions that we can consider as we think about this subject of trauma. The first is really a set of two questions, one that we should leave behind and one that we should gravitate toward. It's easy for us to begin to ask ourselves when it comes to this subject, especially when we look at ourselves, what's wrong with me? A kind of a self-condemning question. But a far better, more fruitful question for us as we think about ourselves is what's happened to me? 19 times out of 20, the question we should start with is not what's wrong with me or what's wrong with them? But what happened to them? And what happened to me? Now, is something wrong with me? No doubt. Maybe you too, right? We humans are a flawed and fragile species. We are jars of clay, as we'll read in a moment. We are bent. We are malformed. You bet there's stuff that's wrong with us. But very often, the catalyst for what, what, for what we might first see as a deep weakness in our character is actually a deep wound that we've suffered. Sour or rotten fruit that we see in our lives that we wish weren't there and we'd like to leave behind, that is often the result of tragic and traumatic roots. As we've said, the unhealed, unaddressed wounds, our pain and trials leave behind. They become drivers of our decisions, fuel for our addictions, and a pattern for our own dysfunctions. And it makes sense. These wounds are tender and vulnerable to injury, so we do whatever we have to to protect them. Their memory is terribly sad and troubling, so we do whatever works to forget them. They end up warping our sense of self and self-worth and even reality, and we end up believing them. They model for us how life supposedly works, and we find ourselves repeating them. Traumas injure us. And we need healed. Traumas train us, and we need retrained. And the fact is, if we pause and reflect on it, we are hurting each other as human beings and being hurt at a heartbreaking rate. Allow me to take sexual assault as an example. 
Around the world, at least one woman in every three has been beaten, coerced into sex, or otherwise abused in her lifetime. It is estimated, think of the trauma that that last, think of the trauma that that stat means that's happening across our globe in, in people's lives at any given moment. It is estimated that one in four girls and one in seven boys by age 18 will have been the victim of some form of sexualized violence. An American is sexually assaulted every 93 seconds. Sexual assaults are on the rise throughout the country. One out of every six American females is a victim of attempted or completed sexual assault. And that ratio has doubled in the last five years and isn't slowing down. That's not to mention violence of all kinds, all other kinds, uh, verbal and emotional abuse and neglect and betrayal and on and on and on. The idea that that human beings all around us are walking around carrying trauma is an epidemic beyond measure. Now, I've concluded that it is essential to my ongoing faith, to our ongoing faith and discipleship, that our theology, our understanding of God and how his reality works, comes to terms with suffering and pain. Bad and at times even devastating things happen to me and to you and to those we love. And this is our fallen world full of fallen people. But Christ, and ultimately only in Christ, in Him are healing and truth abundantly provided. And no bad thing diminishes the fact that God is good. These are the things, these are the truths we have to arrive at as we process the, the, the very difficult realities of the world that we live in. Paul's words to the Corinthians in his second letter are really inspiring in this regard. This is what he says. Now we have this light shining in our hearts, but we ourselves are like fragile clay jars containing this great treasure. This makes it clear that our great power is from God and not from ourselves. We are pressed on every side by troubles, but we're not crushed. We are perplexed, but not driven to despair. We're hunted down, but never abandoned by God. We get knocked down, but we are not destroyed. And then he says, through suffering, our bodies, and by bodies he means our whole lives, really, continue to share in the death of Jesus. So the life of Jesus may also be seen in our bodies, in our lives. That this story of death and resurrection, as you and I are following Jesus, is being played out. And so the difficulties, the toughness, the, the challenges of this world, the traumas that come at us, he says, they get converted, they get, they get used in this resurrection process that we're experiencing. And that suffering takes on new meaning. Now, this idea of embracing suffering or even recognizing that trauma and the trauma that we experience is a driver of who we are today and maybe even driving some of the decisions we make or how we react to certain things. This is not defeatist. This is not a victim mentality. This is not a denial that something also is indeed wrong with us. This is not an excuse, but it is absolutely acknowledging a very real reason behind some of the things that happen in our lives, the fruit that we see and maybe wish were different. But when you and I look at the addictions or the dependencies that we experience or our depression or our anxieties, and we look at those only through the lens of, oh, I'm just a dysfunctional person, something's wrong with me. 
and we don't also include the damage that we've taken on, that's a terribly, uh, that's a terrible and uselessly incomplete perspective. We've left a big part out of the reality of what's happening in our souls. We can't always will our way out of these things. We must heal our way out of them with Christ and the good people that he has graciously given to us. We've all been through stuff. Without the Lord, that stuff is likely to stunt our growth and stop it. But it doesn't have to be that way. And that takes us to our second question, that we can build on that question as we begin to do a little self-examination. What happened to me? Now we can begin to throw some hope into that healing and say, who can I now be? See, trials and trauma are formational. That's something that we are, we, we, we're, we're remiss to not acknowledge that. They do. They, they form us and, and malform us in, in a lot of ways. But those trials and that trauma doesn't have to be foundational. The Lord and his gospel lay down a new and better foundation. Paul's words to the Philippians, I know that through your prayers and God's provision, he's writing this from prison. God's provision of the spirit of Christ Jesus, what has happened to me will turn out for my deliverance. Paul's not acknowledging that difficult circumstances have happened to him, that he is, in a sense, a victim of those circumstances. He finds himself writing in that prison precisely because bad things have happened to him, to say the least. But he knows there's something more. Paul wrote these words to the Romans that you might know quite well. We know that God causes everything to work together for the good. That God takes all that has happened and he causes it to work together for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose for them. That there's a different and broader perspective. I was speaking with an outlooker a couple of weeks ago, early on in this series, and he said, you know, we suffer damage in our lives. And then we have damaged behaviors. We, we, we behave out of that damage. We inflict damage then on others and on to ourselves. And he's right. There's this cycle that happens. And only the Lord can break that cycle. We need healed. And we need retrained by the grace and the truth of God in Christ. See, what this is saying to us here in these verses is that from one angle, something tragic has indeed happened to us. No doubt, that's true. But then it also says, but look from another angle, and it is now something not only tragic, but also transformational. Equally true. Both can be true. One does not have to deny the other either direction. This does not ignore, this perspective of faith does not ignore the trauma or the pain or the injustice, or the abuse, or the crime, or the loss. It just sees that there's more to it than that. It transcends that. That's the perspective that faith provides. Death and the loss and the grief that it brings is a powerful example of what we're talking about right here. When we lose a loved one, we are experiencing this truth, both tragic and there is some hope. There's something more. We've seen three outlookers slip from our grasp and into eternity just this month. Two, about an hour apart last Sunday afternoon. 
John Hall served as an elder for a dozen years here at Outlook, and I've had the privilege of counting him as a friend my whole time here at Outlook. He passed away last Sunday. We'll be honoring him today at 3 o'clock right here at Outlook. Amy Draves served in our children's ministry uh, on staff. She was just a delightful soul in every way, if, any, if you ever got to meet her. She also passed away last Sunday afternoon. We'll be honoring her Tuesday at a church in Anderson at 2 in the afternoon. You can call the church if you want some details there. Just three weeks ago, an outlooker named Stephanie Stanley, baptized here in 2017, a beloved teacher of McCordsville Elementary, passed away at the age of 49. People we love and know and care about slip from our grasp and into eternity, and we're left to grieve. But the Bible says that we can grieve not as the world does, not as those who don't have hope. And this is not a platitude. We Christians can get pretty good at that, right? We want an easy fix, a quick, nice ending to the story. And so dropping platitudes is something that we can be notoriously uh, good at, perhaps. But that is not what we're talking about here. Not something that, that bypasses trauma or ignores grief and pain, but instead something that acknowledges it, but also recognizes that broader, hopeful picture. When faith is used to dismiss someone's trauma or minimize it, this is, in my opinion, religious malpractice, a flagrant disregard for the compassion and care that we are called to share. Kate Bowler was in her 30s when she was diagnosed with cancer. She writes about this in her book, Everything Happens for a Reason and Other Lies I've Loved. She writes, I was immediately worn out by the tyranny of prescriptive joy. When someone is drowning, the only thing worse than, throwing, than failing to throw them a life preserver is handing them a reason. Life is absurdly hard, and pretending it isn't is exhausting. And Friends, if maybe right now you can't nod your head that life can be absurdly hard, at least at times and in seasons then just consider this morning a gentle warning. Brace yourself and get good at leaning on Jesus. Trauma comes to visit every life, knocks on every door eventually. Third question, this takes us to not only who can I be, but now we build on this healing and this hope and we add empathy. How can I fully See, we move from realizing, hey, that's not me, to that could be me. That could be me. And we move from that first question, when we apply it to others, what's wrong with them, to I wonder what happened to them. In Hebrews chapter 13, we read, Remember those in prison, as if you were there yourself. Remember also those being mistreated, as if you felt their pain in your own bodies. I appreciate the J.B. Phillips uh, paraphrase of this. He, he paraphrases it. Think, too, of all who suffer as if you shared their pain. Perfect summary there. Think of those who suffer as if you shared their pain. A modern-day version of following this, uh, the truth of this passage is becoming what we call trauma-informed, as we're speaking of trauma this morning. Our fellow outlookers working with our nonprofit Renewal Neighborhood Ministry have received training in this. Becoming trauma-informed as a person means developing an awareness of the effects of trauma on human functioning, 
and then a sensitivity to how those effects play out in people's thoughts and decisions and reactions. And so the result of that is what we're talking about here, empathy. Because perhaps you and I haven't experienced the same type of trauma as someone else. It's likely to be the case. Yet, we can grow in patience and an understanding of what it's like to be that other person. And we begin to see how prolific trauma is to the human experience. And how much it is moving and guiding and influencing and handicapping our world today. Systemic poverty is trauma. Abuse and neglect are trauma. Neglect, uh, abuse and assault are trauma. Neglect and loss are trauma. It affects generations, as we touched on two Sundays ago. In fact, if you want a compelling creative lesson in generational trauma and how it works, check out the new Disney movie, Encanto. It is a beautiful illustration of exactly this, generational trauma, and how it plays out from one generation to the next. As we become more sensitive to this idea of how trauma affects others, there's something we learn. Uh, experts call it uh, the traumatized brain. That there's something that happens to a human being when they've gone through chronic trauma, especially early in life, you know, when the concrete is still wet in the formation of our thoughts and character. But certainly it's true anytime in life. The traumatized brain operates on survival. It is geared toward fear. It, it's stuck in short-term thinking, just getting through today. It operates mostly in fight or flight or freeze, right? The traumatized brain sees danger everywhere. Alarms are always going off. And they a someone with a traumatized brain has real difficulty in learning from experience because agency has been taken from them at some point. The idea that they can make their own choices and steer the course of their life. That was probably robbed from them at some early age and now they move through life not understanding the agency that they might truly have. The traumatized brain has been described as having Velcro for bad and Teflon for good. That it soaks in and remembers all those bad experiences, but then that deadens it to the good things, and those bounce right off, and even the good lessons that perhaps would, they would do well to learn to move through life in a healthy way. Those with, who are experiencing trauma and trying to heal from it can't just get over it, right? Not without help, and not fully without Jesus. Time heals all wounds, we like to say. But no, it doesn't. It takes time and a whole lot more. It certainly takes good, healthy relationships. Many times trauma comes to a life through relationships with other humans. And it's going to take new and healthy relationships to bring healing in that same way. Childhood trauma is a global epidemic. This is why our work with children, both at 42nd and Post, and any child that we get the chance to be an influence in their life is so important because we're, we live in a world full of adults who, not that long ago, were children, right? And the trauma that a child experiences plays out in adults living out the pain they've endured and instituting the protections that they learn as children. And then as a result, whole parts of someone's psyche, whole of their souls are stunted by no fault of their own. 
Something called the Adverse Childhood Effect Study. You might hear it called ACEs, A-C-E-S. It talks about the fact that childhood trauma is demonstrated to not only be the most powerful predictor of anxiety and depression and substance abuse and suicide. In other words, childhood trauma drives all these types of things in adulthood. But it's also a very effective predictor of physical ailments, such as heart disease. Many have concluded that childhood trauma is the single most profound public health crisis in our country. Kids are hurting and being hurt in ways that we must work hard to prevent and help in every way to heal. And the sooner that happens in someone's life, the more healthy an adult, adolescent and adult they will become, and we will feel those effects throughout our whole society. Is that true? Absolutely. Empathy, though, is where it has to begin. Compassion. And the church, our church, should and must be a place where this is the air we breathe. In the language in which we are fluent, or at least becoming fluent, empathy for the trauma of others. Let me go back to the Psalms as I wrap up. In Psalm 147, it says that God heals the brokenhearted and binds up their wounds. Life is full of pain and loss. It just is. It's not all life is full of, to be sure. But there is no denying that injury and grief and betrayal and sorrow will find their way to each of us sooner or later. And such trauma doesn't discriminate between rich and poor, young and old. It doesn't care whether we seem undeserving or think we've already had our fair share. It shows up uninvited. It wreaks its havoc. It leaves us to, to inventory the damage and clean up the mess. And if we had to do that alone, it would be trial upon tragedy. But we don't. Not at all. And that's the word I want to leave us with this morning. We don't have to go through that alone. The good news of the gospel is that God is with us. The comforting, even surprising news is that he's especially with us when our hearts are broken, when our spirits are crushed. He is nearest in our pain. He is ready to bind our wounds. And he does that through his good and Holy Spirit and his good and helpful people. Amen? We get to be those people for each other and for the world. Let's pray about that. Lord, we thank you that you do use us to bring healing and that you also bring healing to us. And so, Lord, it's our heartfelt desire that we would be conduits of that healing, that we would be people who are compassionate and caring and sensitive to what people have gone through meeting them where they are, knowing from our own experience that you met us where we were and you brought us into a good and spacious and healthy place and that we can invite others to that same place. So Holy Spirit, we ask that you would guide us, bring healing to us, and then move us forward into this world as a light of that same healing. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.